Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So in today's episode, we have Sierra on the other line. How's it going, Sierra? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. So Sierra has a son with 48XXXY. Um, and I want you to kind of just, you know, it's it's different than 47XXY. Um, but it's uh, you're the first on the show to, to be explaining um, kind of your story and how things were. So um, I'll let you take it off. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening in. Um, hopefully this can help someone because we really didn't have much information whenever we uh, first got started on this journey. Um, but I, I found out when I was pregnant, we did NIPT testing. My husband and I were only 27 whenever we had our son. So I honestly did an IPT mostly because I want to know the gender early. I didn't have any indications of needing it though. Um, and it actually came back saying um, that there was a 36% chance that our son may have Kleinfelters. And that was the only um, option that they mentioned there might be. They, you know, there was no other chromosome variations mentioned. Um, so I looked into it some more. And actually, Ryan's videos are uh, what I found on YouTube that helped me feel more comfortable with the potential diagnosis. Um, and my husband and I had no um, desire to terminate the pregnancy regardless of genetics, um, but it just helped me to feel more comfortable with it and more um, knowledgeable about it. Um, because Google, of course, uh, only is, so, is only so encouraging at a time like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we didn't do any other testing uh, prenatally. We didn't feel the risk, the potential risk of um, doing that to, to our son was uh, worth it because we knew that we would keep him regardless. Um, so we just had them do a blood draw once he was born and whenever they were drawing the rest of the labs. Um, and two weeks later, uh, whenever he was two weeks old, we found out that he had 48XXXY. And I had no idea what that meant. And uh, one of the worst things was the results posted before anyone called me. And so I'm staring at the results and I'm a nurse and I'm like, I, I don't know what this means. I mean, I, I know what 47XXY is, but I have no idea what this is. I tried looking on the internet, didn't find a lot of great things. Um, within the results, um, a research study by Dr. Nicole Tartaglia was referenced a few times and basically said that he would be um, developmentally delayed, he would be intellectually deficient, he would have all these other negative um, attributes. And I, I mean, I was just staring at my two week old, like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what your future is going to look like. I, I just was in shock and I had no idea what to do. I cried a lot. Um, I am a Christian and I was very mad at God um, that this diagnosis would exist at all, uh, but even more so that my son had to deal with it and that we had to deal with it. And um, I will say, I am glad that we waited until he was born to get him further tested. Um, part of that because whenever I found out that he may have Kleinfelters while pregnant, you know, people would see my belly and they'd be like, oh, you're having a boy or girl, I'm having a boy. But there's a chance that he may have Kleinfelters. Like, it was just a whole thing. It was never just, I'm having a boy, it felt like. And finally, it got to the point that I was more comfortable with, like, I'm having a boy, like, it's fine, I'm having a son. Like there's in, in the story, um, you know, we're so excited, but um, if I were to have found out his diagnosis prior, it's not that I wouldn't have been excited to have my son, but it's so much harder whenever you're, they're not there. And now I look at this amazing little boy and I'm so 
Okay, I'm getting emotional. It's okay. Um, I just can't imagine not keeping him. And I know of someone, um, basically in front of a friend, that had the same diagnosis and aborted. And I look at my perfect little boy, and I just can't imagine not giving him that chance. I mean, he's perfect. He's a year old. He has hit every milestone. We didn't have to do any uh, medical interventions, except for we did opt into occupational therapy. Um, he automatically qualified because of his diagnosis being so commonly um, associated with delays. But he has not had any issues. Um, I'm sure it's helped, and I I do see that other things have helped as well, like the fact that I'm very blessed to be able to stay at home with him Monday through Friday. Um, my husband works from home, and so on his lunch break, things like that, he can come in. We get to be so involved with him and give him that one-on-one care. And I know not everyone has that, but I will say that's very um, very much so contributed to his success. Um, we also read to him every single day, and the impact of reading to them from a young age, um, I definitely recommend looking into it because that was one of my scary things. Was I, I was like, I don't want him to be behind in school and things like that. I want him to be able to be in the standard classes um, if he can. And so I was determined to do everything I could. Um, and reading is a very big part of that. We're actually in a program um, kind of from our hometown area about it. But anyway, just definitely recommend looking into that because reading from a young age can do so much for their IQ and um, just has endless benefits. Um, the Read Aloud Handbook is definitely something good to check into. Um, and uh, I definitely just had something else I was going to say and I lost it. Um, yeah, so those are things that I would definitely say have contributed. But still, you know, we were, whenever I got that call about his results, I was told he will have this, he will have this, and it was all negative. And he doesn't have any of that. And I know he's only a year old, but there are a lot of milestones to hit that first year. And, I mean, you look at him, you don't see him as any different from any other child. No one had any idea. Um, I actually just shared on my personal Facebook a few days ago, and my hesitation had been um, because I didn't want him to be looked at or treated differently. I didn't want people to expect, oh, well, he has this condition, so he's going to be behind. You tell a child, I mean, what you're breathing into them is what they a lot of times will um, have performed as well. So if you tell a child you're going to do well, you tell a child you're smart, that's what they believe. And that's how they operate. And grand, there are, you know, certain instances that only go so far, but that definitely makes a huge difference. And so I'm very big on always positively affirming our son, even at this young age, so that he knows that he can do anything he sets his mind to. And, um, I'm totally losing track of where I'm going. I'm a little well, nervous because I'm on a podcast. Don't be um, nervous. It's just a conversation. It's just you sharing your story. Um, but yeah, so he is. Uh, so I guess some other parts of it is we did when he was two and a half months old, we went to uh, Colorado to see Dr. Tartaglia and Dr. Davis and the chronologist um, and their team and partially to participate in a research study that they're doing because we wanted other families to have information on this because we were so limited whenever we found out um and um we had his hormone levels checked so whenever boys are young i don't know if you've covered this on the podcast previously but they do have you know that mini puberty as they call it and um it was right about that time all of his hormone levels were normal his lh his fsh and his testosterone um anatomically 
he's developed completely normally. Um, he's a little bit on the shorter side right now. He's in the 13th percentile. And so he's been kind of behind on heights. Now, wait, he's doing just fine. He's 90th percentile. Um, but, uh, I mean, they're not super concerned about that right now. Um, so that's the only thing that's been possibly, I guess, a sign, if you will. Um, and then uh, we haven't had to see any developmental pediatrician or anything. It's been honestly a very normal first year. And one of my biggest things I wish I could suggest to other people is cannot let that worry take over so much because I just had no idea what the future would look like. And that's all I could think about. I mean, I'm an anxious person in general. I think a lot of people are these days. Um, but all I could think about was what is my son's future going to look like? What, what's my future going to look like? Um, and uh, I just let that worry consume so much of those sweet moments that we should have had in the beginning. Um, and um, I think that a lot of it is I just want people to know like it's not as bad as they try to say, and that's not to say the doctors don't know what they're talking about, but the one that called us clearly was just reading exactly what she saw in the results. I mean, she, she didn't have experience with this. It's very rare. It's about one in 50,000, I believe, is how it's told. Um, I mean, the chance of us having a child again with a chromosome anomaly is less than 1% before age 35. So the fact that, I mean, and that's an, even an increased risk than what it was the first time. So it was even less than that for this to have occurred the first time. Um, so I think my biggest thing is just for people to know that Similar to Kleinfelter's, this is a spectrum. So they say that this would typically be just like a more severe form of Kleinfelter's. And um, so it was almost like it was guaranteed to us that he would have more issues. And the logical side of me said, well, Kleinfelter's, I assume, you know, so it has the, the not very noticeable side of the spectrum, and then it has the one that's a little more noticeable, a little more intervention required um, in my mind. He would like that spectrum for XXXY would start at the worst side of Kleinfelter. So that makes sense. Like that worst side would be the best side of ours. And so he would for sure have like the most symptomatic aspects of Kleinfelter. But we don't even see that at this point. Um, so um, I've met. It's just it's definitely a learning <laughs> process. Definitely. I've met. Um, there's one guy here in San Diego that has um, I think he's in his late 20s um he lives on his own um he's got a job i don't he doesn't drive due to anxiety but um he's successful and um enjoying life and having fun loves to hike loves to go out and do things outdoors he loves photography um and then i've talked to this guy aaron who's actually done a story with us he's an older he's like in his 30s i think uh, lives up in canada uh, is married, has a job, um, had, they have a house together that they bought. Um, really, just r really funny guy, was successful. And then there's um, like Michelle who runs uh, the Colton's Extraordinary. Um, she has a nonprofit for her son. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name, but the Col it's like Colton's, uh, it's Colton's foundation and um, they're out in New York. And then there's scattered people all over that have 48 XXXY. And um, what were you, what was, what were the doctors, what was the information that they gave you when it got flagged in the NIP test? And then once you found out after, 
um, after he was born, what was what was the information from diagnosis to then afterwards? Um, I'm actually going to pull it up. And I screenshot it um, way back when. Um, but it was very negative, and I was just couldn't believe. Like, if we get that pediatrician again in our hospital, I will not let her be our pediatrician. Um, I just was not at all okay with how she um, presented the information because we're first-time parents, and, um, yeah, it just was not a very positive light at all. Um, so whenever we received it, uh, the results on there, it says he's XXXY, observed in all cells, so it's not mosaic. Uh, when compared, while it is often compared to Klein-Salter syndrome because of shared features, including tall stature and hypergonadic uh, tropic hypogonadism, um, 48XXXY, and then uh, the 48XXYY and 49XXXY syndromes are associated with additional physical um, physical findings, congenital malformations, mental problems, and psychological features. Um, where did it go? I know that somewhere it talked about. They might have just, it might have been what they sent to us. Um, and I can have my husband grit that out later. Do you um, just, re- they had, do you remember? Told us that he would, um, that he would be, uh, intellectually deficient, um, being a special needs child, basically. Um, and, uh, that he would be developmentally delayed. Those are the main things that I remember, um, her saying it was, honestly, I was just kind of in shock and, having trouble processing it um but basically it was not positive at all and actually you telling me that there's someone living a totally normal life married with kids everything like that or the house and everything that that just brings a lot of reassurance because that's just not what was ever told to us and i i look at colton and i'm like yes that is so reassuring um grand he's only six i don't expect to see him with that wife and kids just that um but just being able to watch him as a little light, um, kind of leading the way and being totally, you know, living that quote unquote normal life. Um, it's just a really great, really great example to see, um, and very encouraging. So I, I love being able to reach out to Michelle about that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I never knew to tell normal his life might could be one day. Um, Yeah. So what was it once you got the confirmation and obviously you'd probably jumped on Google, um, what, what was kind of leading forward? Like once your son was born, you know, once you, you didn't, you, you didn't really stress about it during pregnancy. Did you, as far as you you were going to keep him no matter what, like you didn't, did it, was it constantly on your mind or were you able to enjoy your pregnancy? It, it did make me a little bit rattled at first. Um, it's probably around 20 weeks, I think, whenever we, because the first time I did uh, the NIPT, it had an error reading and they couldn't even tell us what was wrong. You know, usually they could say, well, this is a chromosome that didn't read properly, but they just had no idea. It just said, didn't read, we're going to have to redo it. Um, and so it was a little bit delayed because that, so around 20 weeks, I think, is whenever we got the diagnosis. And at first I was upset. Um, but my, you know, I Googled, and I still was kind of like, oh, there's potential issues. Um, but then I, I looked at it, and I was like, 
I mean, a lot of kids have these issues, though. I mean, none of this is just significant enough that it it sounds terrible. Like, if I had to pick a chromosomal disorder for my kid, I'd pick Kleinfelder. Like, it's not nearly as terrible as as it could be. Um, and so I was pretty cool with it after that. I, you know, if, if I have to think about it, I was like, yeah, I may have Kleinfelters, but, you know, it's they can live a pretty normal life. Like, it's fine. We'll do what we have to. We'll intervene as needed. It's all good. Um, so I wasn't too stressed out for most of the pregnancy, but there were, I can't remember how long, probably a couple of weeks that I was a little bit stressed out. I know, especially that day when I first got that call um, from the geneticist, um, from the genetic counselor, I was very stressed, of course, just because I, I had never heard of it. I had no idea what it even meant. And, you know, whenever they talk to you, that's one of the worst things, whenever they talk to you about the potential issues, it's only potential and it's always the worst aspects like oh they could have this and it's the absolute worst case scenario of what they could have and so that's the other problem is that it's always the extreme it's not I think they don't take into consideration when they're explaining it that there's no guarantee of this and that's one of the biggest things with with what he has as well in any genetic disorder it's none of this is a guarantee it's just a possibility that he will have this issue um occur yeah so so, so I've yeah. learned I've learned how that works a little bit. Um, I can share a little bit with you and, and the community. I've learned that um, most of the men, seventy, you know, 75% of men, um, I don't know the statistic for 48XXXY, but the statistic for XXY is 75% of the men will die never knowing and 25% find out at some point in their lifetime. And from what I've kind of, through research, through the doctors I've talked to, through just understanding the the, the the situation through social and all that is that when they typically do research, um, people that are having more health problems or more, they want answers to their unknowns since most research is free. Um, you typically see a heavily impacted community or, or, um, you know, you see a skew in the, in the spectrum that usually do research. And so you don't necessarily get, the full spectrum of individuals. Um, the guys that I know that are out there living their normal life, they only found out that they had XXY through um, not being able to have kids. They didn't even know research existed. They, they didn't even, they, they wouldn't even know where to search or how to search for it or how to be a part of it. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the people that are actively involved in the community. They're actively searching for answers to the, the situations that they're going through Um typically those are the type of people that are part of are, are in research. And so you don't get the full, you don't get the entire community of individuals in that research. So it could be skewed. It could be, you know, it could be showing the, the major health issues or the, the answers, you know, that people are searching for. And then it puts that into data and then it says, we're, and then everything you read is worst case scenario. So the people out there that are just living their lives, they don't even know research exists. So they don't even, or they don't want to participate in it because they don't think that they'll make a difference in research, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize how high the percentage of people that didn't know. I knew a lot of people, a good amount of people did not know they had Klein filters. I didn't realize it was that high of a number that didn't. Yeah, so 75% died never knowing. And then in 2006, the termination rate for XXY was 72% in the United States, 85% in Canada. 
and then I think it was much higher in the rest of the countries um, across the across the globe. And that's 2006. That was long before non-invasive prenatal testing existed. And this is why, like, sharing your story is so important because there's kids that. 75 percent of the men are living a, a normal or let's, let's just quote unquote normal life and never finding a diagnosis and then mothers in utero are being told to terminate and it's like what what where where is this coming from and um a lot of the misinformation comes from the research papers that were done in jail and and uh the outdated ones because there isn't very much money in in Kleinfelder syndrome to put to research there aren't very many people that are interested in it um, and so this is why like advocacy is so important by putting yourself out there to like have a voice that's heard so we can get this thing on the map. Absolutely. And that's a large part of why I finally kind of felt God tugging at me to share our story because another aspect of why I was hesitant is because I thought, well, this is my son's diagnosis. I want him to be able to call the shots of when he wants to, you know, who and when he wants to share his diagnosis, but especially, and I'm not going to get into politics, but my biggest thing is I don't, if someone wants to get an abortion, that's not my place to tell them not to. I just don't want it to be because of the diagnosis. Um, I don't want that to be the determining factor because I look at our perfect son that is not distinguishable from any other child in any way. Um, and that's one of my biggest things, especially with all the, the changes politically of what's with the laws and such on abortion changing and it's it's just making things a lot more complicated um one mo- so one mom yesterday yeah. that i did a podcast with said um the right information to make an informed decision and and that's one of the things that's so important is the the information that mothers in utero are being given is not the it is not the entire spectrum of the community it does not show the successes it does not show the the, you know, the people out there that are living with it, um, that are just enjoying life and happy. And so that's what kind of led me to start this organization was to give parents like you and, and other parents in utero, a, 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 a spectrum of the entire community of, of people that aren't just the research based information. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit on that. Okay. Yeah. It, it definitely needs to be better known. And I know, um, my son's occupational therapist, whenever I was talking with her at one point, um, she was talking about with down syndrome, uh, multiple clients that she's had, their parents just said, um, whenever they did the NIPT and they said, okay, they have down syndrome. When do you want to schedule the abortion for? It was not, you know, think about it. It was, when do you want to schedule the abortion for? Because they have down syndrome and it's, it's just baffling and, disgusting that that's the response because it's it's a child and you especially once they're born you look at their beautiful face and you see their personality and you just can't imagine someone choosing to not keep that life because of a diagnosis and what it potentially holds um and so yeah it's very disappointing to say in the least um the information that's given with those diagnoses um, in utero especially, and I think that's why uh, the person I know that did get an abortion um, with that diagnosis, I think that's a large part of why she did was, you know, she didn't, that's not what she wanted. She didn't want a complicated child. And so yeah, when, it's 
awful. So when um, you were talking about like sharing your son's story and I want to kind of get back to that, like what, what was the, you know, the two sides of the coin of his, his diagnosis to share, but then what, what kind of changed that perspective in you to put yourself out there three days ago on Facebook and share everything that has happened? Um, what really, so we actually, uh, we, we did a dedication for him recently at church or dedicate him to, uh, dedicated to raising within the church. And, um, just as they were doing that with us and they were talking about, you know, children are a blessing from God. And that is ultimately what they are is we should be giving them back to God. And I was just thinking like, this is not my you know, as much as I want to um, let this be on his terms, I don't want people to, you know, make fun of him or look at him differently or whatever. I was like, that's not the point of children, though. I, you know, God used us to be a light, and I was very upset that he chose me to be a light at first. I did not care for that role. Um, no one wants their child to have potential struggles or challenges. Um, but I, after that service, whenever I really... I I was at my husband. I said, I think I want to go ahead and share it. I want people to know, um, because I, people need to know that it's not that bad. It's not what the internet makes it look like. Um, and so that was the biggest part is just that it's not, you know, his purpose is greater than that, that he is meant to be a light. And, um, I have had people tell me already that me sharing that, even though their children weren't diagnosed with the same thing. Um, I had one that, um, her son may be, uh, he's being tested for autism and she reached out to me because, um, just, she really resonated, resonated with her, what I had said, because it's not that we don't love our child by any means, but we want them to be different because these extra chromosomes are a part of him. And that, that's just part of what makes him so wonderful. If anything was different, he wouldn't be my same wonderful son. Um, but it is scary because there's so much unknown. I think that's been one of the worst parts of it is everything seems to just be a, you'll wait and see, wait and see. We don't know yet. Wait and see. And it's, I like to know things. I think most people like to know things. We don't have to just wait and see. We want that guaranteed answer. And especially anyone else that has a little bit higher anxiety, like I have, it's just, it's hard to just accept that as, okay, we'll just see what happens down the road because I need to know what's going to happen. And so seeing these other people that have the same diagnosis is a lot more reassuring and really helps to give me uh, what I need to see, okay, my son can have a normal life. Look at these kids. They're perfect. Like it's, you can't even tell that anything's different. They just look at how their life is. They're wonderful as is. Um, so yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, and what was, what was the response once you vulnerably put yourself out there and, and, you know, decided to just go for it? What was the response from family, friends, people around you? It was very positive, um, very positive, and I, I'm, I had a few share it, which I'm glad. I want it to be shared. I want people to see. I want to reach as many people as possible, um, so I was very glad for people to see, and, you know, a lot of people were just like, but he's so freaking cute. Like, he's the cutest kid ever. I had no idea, and, you know, you know so it's, you know, I'm praying for peace for you because I know it's difficult, um, and then some um have said uh, whether they messaged me or they commented on there and said thank you because it's hard having you know an abnormal in quotation child um, and something that someone said that I really 
liked that I've heard it before, but it, it's just that repetition was good for me is no child is normal. Like every child has something, whether it's an NIPT that you get a diagnosis or a potential diagnosis, um, they could later down the road have issues. You just never know what's going to pop up and everyone's got something, you know, no one's just 100% normal, if you will. Um, but it's, I think it's helped to be a light because it can feel so alone. I know one of my big things is I would get very jealous. I would look at these people that seem to have the perfect life. And I'm like, look, and they have this beautiful kid and I love our beautiful son, but why does he have to have these more complicated things? Like, you know, we do OT every other week and we, you know, we're driving to Colorado to take him to an appointment to make sure that he had what he needed. Um, And I would just get so overwhelmed and jealous that, I felt like they weren't struggling. And then I come to find out this person, actually, they are struggling. They're finding out that their son has this, this, and, and just finding that there's so many other people out there, that even if it's not the same diagnosis, they're still dealing with something different with their child that they are struggling with because otherwise it just feels so lonely and isolated. And that's a big part of it. And something I was going to say earlier that I, I uh, didn't remember too is in the beginning, I was also so stressed about, like I had to write them in there. I had to be doing everything possible to make sure my son was set up for success. Because if I screwed up, if I dropped the ball in any area, it was all my fault and he was going to struggle in life. So it was like, we have to breastfeed. Like, and latching didn't work for us. So for the past year, I've been pumping because I was like, I am going to let him have that. I don't want to have to do formula. And if you have to choose formula, that's fine. That's not what I'm getting at. But Breast milk is so much better for them developmentally from what we, we read in the research and things that so I, whether it is or not, whatever, but that in my mind, that was the best thing for him. And I wanted to make sure he had it. So I introduced myself for the past year because I love my son. That's what we do. I read to him every day for the past year and my husband, too, is very involved. Um, I was able to leave my job um, as a full-time nurse. So I just do it PRN. So I'm able to Monday through Friday be home to raise him. Um, and we've had to change things around, but it's, I was so determined that we were going to do everything possible. And that was one of the other scary things is I was hearing all these people, um, you know, we're getting tea shots, we're getting testosterone done, we're getting testosterone. It's like, do I need to be doing this? And, you know, Colorado, they were like, his levels are all normal, anatomically, everything's correct. You don't need it. It's like, okay, but there's still that part of me that even though I know they're right, it still is worried, like, what if I'm not doing something I should be doing for my son and it screws him up later? or it, it negatively impacts him because I didn't make that choice. And that's what's so terrifying is wanting to know that you're doing everything exactly right and not feeling like you really have a true layout of what to do to do everything right. And so that's where that isolation really comes in is you're just wondering, is, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I doing everything that I should? Um, I know my our pediatrician for him has never had a Klinefelter's patient that she's aware of. I'm sure she has, and he's just not diagnosed yet, but um, this was her first patient with uh, 40 XXXY or um, Kleinfelters. So um, that's, you know, it's just been very lonely and scary and nerve wracking because it's just, I'm, I was just so hard on myself. Like I had a list every day. We've got to do this with him and this with him and this with him. And I was like, oh my gosh, but we missed tummy time today. And I forgot about doing tummy time for the first like two months. And I felt so guilty because I was so worried about doing everything else, which he did fine. He was raising his head by just a few days old. I mean, I, we did so much um, chest to chest that he, skin to skin, whatever. He was getting plenty of, you know, kind of um, 
improvised tummy time, I guess, uh, modified, whatever you want to call it, because um, it wasn't on the floor. But I just, I felt awful. I felt so guilty about possibly missing anything. Or like if we forget to brush his teeth one night, I'm like, oh, but he's at higher risk of having dental issues. Like I, I've woken him up to brush his teeth because I was so stressed out. I was like, what if I am not on top of it enough right now that he is decay and like I just the stress that is one of the biggest things is just the stress of initially not knowing what his future would be like and then now coupling that with making sure that I'm involved enough and doing enough with him you know are we doing all the sensory activities enough are we doing this enough um and I'm finally a little bit more okay with it but I still have my little list of you know every day we need to be working on you know having him do his little push walker make him try to practice walking so he does that on time and so she's for everything but I still just wanting to make sure that I'm not doing anything to mess up his potential success do you feel like you have FOMO in some of the in some of the situations I feel like some of it um or is it or is it more Um, control is it more control based I don't know I think it's just I just feel like I'm going to blame myself and I don't want to, I guess it's more of almost like FOMO. Like, I just, I don't want to look back and say, he, you know, whenever he's a little bit older, I don't want to look back and be like, you know, whenever he was a baby, I should have done this more. And then maybe he wouldn't be struggling with this. That's my biggest thing is I don't want to look back and think I should have done more to help him not struggle. And that's where it, it just got really stressful where I was making these lists of everything I had to do for the day. And I would just get overwhelmed um, because like, if you don't do this, you could screw up your kid. And I said, no one said that to me, but I just was so worried because I hadn't heard of, you know, normal kids yet with his diagnosis. I was, you know, whenever they called me and told me the results, it was such a guarantee that he's going to have this issue and this issue and this issue. I see where it stems from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Make that make sense. I'm so big on, um, I'm, I'm someone that I want to do anything and everything. If you tell me there's no way to do this, I'm going to say, yes, there is. Let me just find it. And if there's not, I'm going to at least know that I did everything to prevent that from happening. And so for them to say he's going to be intellectually deficient and he's going to be developmentally delayed, in my mind, it was not necessarily. There's a good chance, and I'm going to have to work really hard, but not necessarily. If I do all these things and just work my butt off to make sure that he gets everything he needs, he may not have that. And so I think that's a lot of what it is, is just wanting to, yeah, it stems. It was just such a guarantee, you know, it definitely stems from you. You nailed it with, I, I was like searching for the answer and then I'm like, Oh yeah, you're, when you got the diagnosis, like everyone told you that your son's not going to be able to do this or do that, or he's going to have these problems, these challenges. So you went into like protective proactive mode once he was born of like, okay, like he, no one can tell me that he's not going to be able to do these things. Like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just buckle down and and get these things done and develop a structure and a plan and all that stuff. And, and I, 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 that's incredible parenting to be proactive like that. And then to, but then I've seen what happens to families over a three year period when they start with like crazy early intervention and everything right off the bat, eventually their son starts to have his own personality. He starts to like kind of rebel, even at two or three years old, like he sees the repetition and he starts to rebel at speech or rebel at like some of these situations. And so it's like really important to kind of view it from 
not only the lock being locked into all the early intervention and helping and all that, but also to like, be like, wait, my son, we, we, we need to look at my son from the opposite perspective of like, just he, regardless, like move the diagnosis to the side a little bit and let him just explore and be, be his personality, be who he is. Let's see like what, what happens if we don't decide to do therapy? Like, will he continue to, you know, will he continue to push forward on his own? Like I've seen families do the opposite of therapy and they do their kind of their own therapy. They go out in nature and they do, they do like lots of biking or skateboarding or things that require like core in different ways. And so it's, there's, there's all different types of successes. I just think that it's good to, it's good to be proactive, but it's also good to like enjoy life a little bit and push, try to like, push the diagnosis aside and look at your son for just who he is as well. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been easier to do that. The older he's gotten those first few weeks. And as we were getting adjusted to trying to figure out what this meant for us, that's whenever it was really like, Oh man, what, what do we do from here to make sure that he's set up for success? But um, I mean, I don't look at him and say, look at my son. He has 48 XXXY. I just say, look at my son. Is he adorable? I mean, he's awesome. He's, <laughs> he brings so much joy um, to everyone. And so it's definitely, I've been able to move to that. Um, and I don't typically have those issues anymore. Um, I will say I did have to unfollow some of the groups um, because people would post things about just issues that they were having. And I just had to, I couldn't keep looking into what if he is this one day I had to just unfollow it because otherwise I was like, well, this person's saying their kids having to deal with this now or their grown is dealing with this now. And it was just overwhelming because it was like, it was sucking out that positivity and replacing it with potential negatives. Um, that was one, you know, some of the things I've had to do to just help keep it in a positive place. But yeah, you make, a, you make a really good <laughs> point. We actually, you know, I, I got on Facebook right when I first, um, googled Kleinfelder syndrome and then created a Facebook group that's still got like 2,200 members in it now and I'm no longer a part of that I mean I'm in the group but I'm no longer a part of it on the management side and recently a lot of people have been asking like can living with XXY create a Facebook group and I know that Facebook's not the answer um, to long-term solutions especially for so many people don't have Facebook Um, so I put together a little Facebook group uh, beta test um a couple of days ago and, and launched it and it's available on our website. It's available on our social media. Um, it's out there if you want to find it and, and go in it and add yourself to it as far as just in general people. Um, the Facebook groups can become kind of toxic. And if you don't know what to look for or don't know how to avoid those situations, um, it can send you down a worry, a worry hole of hell in some aspects, especially when, um, some of the exits, because everything is through text and we're so visually oriented. Um, you can't tell personality, you can't tell sarcasm, you can't tell like other people's perspectives very well. And so sometimes you'll have, um, older adult men arguing with mothers of young kids. Um, you'll have, you'll just have a little bit of everything within this, within these groups. And, it's um it's very hard to monitor that it's very hard to kind of keep people to not 
constantly ask like, Hey, I have big ears. Is that because I have Klinefelter syndrome or, or my feet this way? Or, you know, my personality is this way. Is that, you know, and you kind of get, some people can kind of get sucked into trying to figure out like what is Klinefelter syndrome and what is not. Um, and then some people just think that their entire lives, everything in their life is strictly just Klinefelter syndrome. So it's a very, it's a very hard place to manage, um, but then people need support. So where do you go if, if you have no place other than like a Facebook group for support? And sometimes it's good to just disconnect and, and not be constantly involved. Um, I've been constantly involved since 2017 and um, before starting this nonprofit and, and just getting involved in general. Um, I was never involved. I didn't even realize that all this existed. So it's definitely good, even for me, that someone that has a nonprofit, it's definitely good to like step away from it for a little while and just like enjoy your life for who you are and not constantly thinking about XXY or, or the other chromosome variations. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think that's what's really helped me to breathe a little bit though is unfollowing it because otherwise, you know, someone posts something somewhere like kind of what you mentioned, it's like, then you're hyper alert looking for something to be wrong. So whenever he um, was starting to be a little bit shorter, you know, I noticed when he was born, he was um, a little bit more towards the middle or the upper end of um, the percentile of height. And then as he got older, and there's one point he dropped down to, I think the second percentile, I was freaking out. And I was like, is this it? Or then his teeth, when they were coming in, he's got seven teeth now. And um, they came in a little bit out of order. And whenever I talked to um, the genetic counselor at Colorado, um, she mentioned, you know, she kind of gave me a rundown because that's what I asked for. I, you know, she asked how much information I wanted um, and kind of what, you know, where I wanted to start with it. Um, but one of the things she said was, you know, their teeth coming out of order. They could have this. Um, but again, I asked for that information. But then I was worried, like, well, his, you know, third bottom teeth came in before his top teeth. Oh, man, he's out of order. Like, this, you know, signs are showing. And I would just start freaking out about stuff. Um, and so I'm having to get myself to remember like sometimes kids just their teeth grow in whatever order they want or you know some kids are just short and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be that but otherwise kind of like you were saying like everyone thinks like oh, every single aspect of me is because I have Klein filters and similar here is I was starting to do that same thing with him as well if he has something off it's because he has this diagnosis and in, in reality it could just be kids are different babies are weird like they just do stuff um at one point he um was kind of like slapping that right arm and it was back in February, so he was like six or seven months old, I guess. I'm not doing math right now, but anyway, and he was doing that, and I staying there had a panic attack. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what if he's starting to have a tick already at this age? Like, I mean, it was totally normal. It was just him just doing weird stuff that babies do, and he doesn't do that now. It was just, I guess, figuring out that arm or whatever, um, but he would sit there and slap it against himself several times, and it, it looked like a tick, and I just, oh, man, we were worried. So it's it's just hard getting that diagnosis and not being hyper alert that anything that's not standard or normal is because of the diagnosis. Oh my gosh, I've got to be on the lookout for it. So what is amazing about your little boy? I know that you've constantly talked about how cute he is and all these things. What, what have you noticed about him? Um, is it, and is he your first? He is my first, um, my husband's first, um, he's smart. He has a, like he has this little cube that um, it's a little musical toy that his granny got him, 
and it has one button, a big red button. Well, they're all the same size. It has a button that's red, and it plays all the instruments. And then each of the other buttons is a singular instrument. If you hand it to him on any of the other sides, he flips it over just to push that one button. He knows that if, it's just cool that he knows that. Or um, like I had him using his little push walker, and I let him go around our dining room table the other day. And he was turning it himself. And he hasn't even had that opportunity before. He's never done it on that section. But he was figuring out how to turn his walker by himself. Um, so it's, it's things like that. Um, He's very sweet. He's a good kid. Thank you, Jesus. He started sleeping through the night at two months old. It was awesome. Um, you can hear him a little bit now. He's up from his nap. Um, he's, I mean, he's just been a really stellar kid. And you know, he has his, his little stage where he's a little cranky. He's, I think, got his molars coming in right now. So he's a little extra irritable sometimes. Um, he's cuddly. He loves his cuddles. I will say we bed share. I have no shame. <laughs> we bed safely. Um, so we do bed share. But he, he loves cuddling with us and I love having that extra time with him um but he's a good baby he's smiling he loves smiling at people it's so cute when he does his little wave to people um a lot of times he's been a little more shy about it lately but he loves doing his little wave and it's so cute um really good about recognizing people and voices um several months ago when he was still on the younger side not a year old yet um, my stepmom had, uh, she was on speakerphone. He started smiling, like he recognized her voice. And it's not someone that we see all the time, uh, because we do live two hours away from all of our family. Um, but it was just cool that he happened to recognize that. Um, I think those are some of the coolest. Or, uh, we finally got one of those little nugget couches, if you know what I'm talking about, where they can like climb all over it. He climbed it to the top, like he figured it out. He climbed it to the top. And I was like, I didn't know that he could do that. <laughs> Um, so I think those are some of my favorite things. Um, what would you tell to, to kind of like wrap things up? What would you tell, um, other families out there, you know, about that could potentially be receiving this diagnosis or, um, or just about, you know, the fear of judgment and then opening up and, um, like how, how opening up has made a major difference in your guy's life um, than before? I will say that every single thing that you find on the internet about the diagnosis is simply a possibility and not a guarantee. And that was something I wish I would have known because whenever we did get that call, it seemed a lot more like this is for sure going to happen. This is for sure going to happen. And so being here a year later and everything, he's hit every single milestone on time. Um, he looks just like any other baby. Um, he's, he just, there's, there's nothing like we would have no idea that even he even had a um, different chromosome setup had we not done the testing. Um, so I think my biggest thing I want people to know is you don't need to stress so much about it. Sorry. He's yelling at our cat right now. That's how he communicates. <laughs> That's one of the funny things he does is, yells at animals to communicate um but that's one of my biggest things is just don't worry about that because those are not guarantees um and just doing what you can to make sure you're set up for success but no one's just enjoy life i mean um i'm sorry i forget what your second question was no i was it's, it's totally okay i just wanted to put put that out there and and um share kind of your story with everyone. And, and, uh, now that your little kid's up, um, he's, he's letting everyone know, Hey, this is me. Yeah. yeah so that's him. He's scaring the cat away. Um, I think the other thing you asked was 
how um, opening up has helped us. Uh, it's been very nice to feel less alone because uh, even though, because I've told a few people prior uh, about his diagnosis, but I was very selective. Um, but now that no, more people know, um, they felt comfortable opening up with me and talking with me about what they have going on um, with their children and what's different about them. And, you know, thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable because it's helped me less alone and you you know you said exactly how I was feeling um and so that's been a lot of it and um it just it I feel a lot better that we've shared it I don't feel like I have to hide what he has it's not that I felt like I had to hide it before but I felt like it wasn't my place to just share it all the time because I want you know I felt like that was his choice to do later in life and I didn't want to take that away from him um but just realizing that his life is it serves a greater purpose than just what we want or our desires um and so i think that's really helps there and i'm really praying and hoping that it reaches the right person to give them um some hope and uh, if anyone wants to find me on facebook i don't mind they can i've got it shared publicly because i want people to see it um it's my name is sierra s-i-e-r-a wesley wilson um and i just did the post uh, a couple days ago so uh, in the July of 2022, so when you listen to this, but uh, feel free to go check it out and just kind of read that. Um, and one other thing I want to leave you with, a, a dear friend of mine, uh, shortly after we got his diagnosis, she sent me a poem called Welcome to Holland, and it is wonderful. Um, basically, it's saying, you know, I was, you know, I'm planning my trip for Italy. I'm so excited. You know, I'm going to go see all this, blah, blah, blah. I think it's Italy. I, I don't remember. Wherever it is. They're supposed to go on a trip somewhere, and um, they get off the plane, and they announce, Welcome to Holland, and they're like, I... I wasn't going to Holland. What do you mean I'm in Holland? I, I was supposed to be going to wherever. Um, and they, you know, they're getting out and they're exploring. They're like, Holland's actually, you know, very beautiful. And it's, you know, it's not where I intended to be going. It's not what I thought things would look like. But it's still wonderful, just in a different way. I thought it was so beautiful. Um, so Welcome to Holland is, is definitely a great poem to, to check out as well. It It kind of just talks about, in the aspect of you you think you're going somewhere else, but you end up somewhere and then you realize how great and beautiful it is. It's kind of, it kind of feels like it runs kind of really deep with the XXY and, and the chromosome variation community is you you're told to expect something and then you get something different and you're like, this is still awesome and beautiful and amazing. So that's, that's a cool analogy. Well, it's been really yeah. wonderful having you and just sharing uh, your story and your son's story. Um, it's, it's really important for, in order for things to change, in order for doctors to have more information, um, we as a community, whether whatever diagnosis or whatever genetic condition we have, um, it's up to us to change things. Um, the doctors aren't going to do it. The research isn't going to change. Um, so I really appreciate you putting yourself out there and, and knowing that like your son's life, knowing that people will reach out to you, contact you, and that your son at two has the opportunity to potentially save other lives is such a powerful piece that he can hold with him the rest of his life. Um, when he gets old enough to understand what that means, um, is it's serious. It's just making a major difference. So I, I thank you for that. And, um, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Sounds great. Thank you so much.